right, if you have your Bibles with you today, I hope you do. We'll open them up to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. We're still in our series on the Beatitudes. We're beginning to wrap up here. We are in the seventh Beatitude, the seven of eight statements that Jesus taught on his Sermon on the Mount. And today we're in Matthew, chapter 5, verse number 9. Verse number 9. There was a research study done recently where they asked Americans what were the most important life skills that people needed for a successful future. They were mainly thinking of young people, and when Americans were asked this question, the Pew Research Center, they asked about 3,500 people what they thought the most important skills that people needed to be successful in life, in their jobs, in their families, um, in trade, in talent. Um, What they discovered was that the majority of the respondents cited three main skills, Um, and they're all very good, and I agree with all of these. Uh, What they said, uh, according to this research study, was that the number one skill people needed to have was communication. Communication was number one, reading was number two, and math was number three. Three very important life skills, obviously as an educator, reading and math, very, very important to just being successful in life. But communication was up there at number one, which I thought was very interesting um, and very appropriate. Uh, a skill that you won't see anywhere there, but one skill that I think should be at uh, close to the top, and maybe it's part of communication, we can maybe wrap that up in there, is the skill of conflict resolution. As people, we need to have the abilities to be able to know how to repair and how to reconcile relationships. Why do we need that skill? Because we're always going to have conflict in life, right? It's inevitable. Some of you may have had conflict this morning just getting here, right? I'm the only one. Okay, amen. Praise God. Pray for me. Pray for me. All right. Didn't get any amens on that. All right. Okay. Uh, Some of us have conflict just getting to church, right? Getting kids ready, getting ready in the home. Uh, Stuff happens in life. Relationships get broken. Um, But no one really teaches us the art and the skill of conflict resolution. They don't teach this in schools. There's no college class that you could take that offers this. Uh, Oftentimes our parents try or they do more harm than good when it comes to showing us conflict resolution. But, But conflict resolution is an important skill because it's what's at the heart of what Jesus is speaking at here in this seventh beatitude. And it's in Matthew 5, verse 9. Look at it with me. It says, God blesses those who work for peace. Other translations say, God blesses the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Uh, The people that God sees as his own, my offspring, those who look like me, those who talk like me, those who act like me, are people who are actively working for peace. And people who work for peace have the skill of conflict resolution. Jesus, in these Beatitudes, is explaining the character and the conduct of the kingdom of heaven. And when we pray in the Our Father, Thou kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth, is what we're saying is, Jesus, we desire the character, the conduct of your kingdom. We want to be citizens, ambassadors of that kingdom. And in desiring the conduct and the character, one of the characters of the kingdom of heaven, one of the, one of the traits of the kingdom of heaven, is peace. Jesus himself is called the Prince of Peace. His kingdom is marked by peace. Jesus in the future will usher in a reign, a thousand-year reign, where there's peace on earth. Jesus will bring that. One of the gifts that Jesus leaves us before he goes to be with the Father in John 14, we see, is the gift of peace. 
These are the words of Jesus. He says, I am leaving you with a gift. It's not a million dollars. It's not a beautiful car. It's not a great career. It's not a fat 401k. You know what the gift that Jesus gives you? Peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give, Jesus says, is a gift the world cannot give you. It cannot be duplicated. It cannot be um, replicated. It cannot be uh, misdone and misgiven. This is a gift that only comes from Jesus. So he says, don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. If there's one thing I think we need now more than ever, is this gift of the peace of Christ, isn't it? Because we live in a world and in a culture that's marked by conflict. Just look around. Surf social media for a little bit, and you'll see just how much conflict exists in our culture. And honestly, I think our culture feeds off conflict. We desire conflict. We initiate conflict. As people, we love conflict. We love drama. We love the tea. Let's look at what's happening in our world, the strife, the division. There's racial conflict. There's political conflict conflict. There's economic conflict between the haves and the have-nots. There's educational conflict, and there's even national conflict. And as people who are called by his name, who are citizens of his kingdom, we are to live in a way where the peace of Christ is lived out of us, where, where our, 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 our being, our words, our deeds, our action always exemplify and exude the peace of God. God wants peace to flow out of us. That's why I've entitled this message today, Peace Out. How many of you have heard that word saying before, right? Peace Out. Well, God wants you to live in a way where peace flows out of you. So my goal today is to share with you three reasons why you should really be listening today. Why unresolved conflict has such a bad effect on your life. And then I want to leave you with some real steps that you can put into practice as you leave this place that will hopefully get you on your way to being a peacemaker person who lives with the peace of God flowing out of them, sowing seeds of peace. These are steps that you could use in your marriage. These are steps that you could use in your workplace. These are steps that you could use with your children. These are steps that you could use at the gym, with your friends, with your family, at gatherings. Listen, if you're here today and you've been struggling with a relationship that's been fractured, that's been broken, that's been hindered for years, today God wants to bless you and maybe save you thousands in therapy and counseling by practicing some of this wisdom from the Word of God on how to be a person who flows peace out from a changed heart within, right? So let me start by sharing with you three reasons why I really think you need to listen today, why today's message is, is very important. Uh, here's, here's, here's why. It's because unresolved conflict, conflicts that you don't resolve with people, conflicts that are left outstanding, will always negatively impact your life. We've normalized a way of dealing with conflict where we say, well, I'll just get over it. Or, or you know what, I'm just going to deny it's happening. Or, or I'm just going to let it sit. And we've normalized this way of handling conflict. And that's not being a peacemaker. That might be being a peacekeeper. But Jesus never calls us to be peacekeepers. He calls us to be peacemakers. And because we've normalized this way of handling conflict, of not dealing with it, what it's led to is it's led to issues that have now become heart issues. Anger, bitterment, resentment. These heart issues now dominate our life. And these have real effects on you emotionally, relationally, physically, and even spiritually. Did you know that your unresolved conflict affects you spiritually? 
Let's go to the word on this. And again, three reasons why I think you really need to listen to this message today. One is that unresolved conflict interrupts your fellowship with God. Your vertical and your horizontal always intersect. Your vertical relationship, your relationship with God will always spill over into your horizontal relationships with people. Your horizontal relationships with with husbands, wives, children, parents, teachers, classmates, friends, family, those horizontal relationships will always spill over into your vertical relationship with God. And if you have unresolved conflict, this is not right. If you're not right here, you're not going to be right here. Look at what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Did you know that Jesus says, it's, it's, uh, or the Word of God says, that it's more important for you to be right with people than even maybe be even in church? That God values the way you relate with people more than he does the way you attend church? Look what it says here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. So you might be a church attender, someone who comes to church, and you're at church every Sunday. But if in your heart you have hatred and unresolved conflict with people, the Word of God calls you a liar. For if we don't love people we can't see, how can we love God whom we can't see? You see, when these things are not right, this usually isn't right either. So one reason why you should listen today is because this unresolved conflict that maybe that you're living with, it's going to interrupt with your fellowship with God. Number two, do you know that unresolved conflict hinders your prayers? Did you know that? The body, the soul, and the spirit are one. The Bible describes in Thessalonians that we are three in one. We are a person made up of a body. That's the soma. That's the flesh that we could see, the body that you could feel. We are a soul, which in the Greek is psyche, which is your heart and your mind. And then we are also the spirit. We are the pneuma. So we are three parts in one, and the Bible describes this as being three in one, and when one part is struggling, usually the other parts get brought down. If your flesh is not under control, your soul is not going to be under control. And if your soul and if your body are not under control, your spirit man is going to get pulled down. And if your spirit man is not doing well, then for sure your body and your soul are not going to be doing well, because the three are linked together. And when you are not right relationally with people, it hinders your spiritual life. It hinders your prayers. Look what it says here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It's talking here specifically to husbands. Uh, this scripture, men, should put you know a little shake into your shiver. Because listen to what the Word of God is saying here. It's saying, treat your wives as you should, so that your prayers are not, what, hindered. You see, when you have unresolved conflict, now this is specific to wives, but... The Word of God transcends just this aspect, transcends to any human relationship. If you are wrong with people, your prayer lives are hindered. Your spirit man gets hindered. So one, listen today because unresolved conflict interrupts your fellowship with God. Two, it hinders your prayer's life. And three, you know what? It just prohibits you from experiencing real joy. How many of you know you could have the best of everything? You could have the best of clothes, the best of houses, the best of careers, the best of vacations. But if your relationships are a mess, your life is jacked up. You don't really have true joy. All you have pretty things. You have nice things, but you don't have joy because your relationships are a mess. So you need to listen today because when we're talking about the pursuit of happiness, 
the Makarios life, which Jesus says, God blesses, God Makarios, God makes happy those who are peacemakers. What Jesus is saying is, you want to experience joy in your life? Be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Look at James 3.18. It says, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. It's, it's here speaking in the terms of the, saw of the law of sowing and reaping, right? Those who sow seeds of peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. And part of that righteousness is the joy of knowing that you have peace in your life. Now, now, now we know sowing and reaping, right? You always reap more than you sow. You could sow five apple seeds. You're not going to get five apples back. You're going to get that multiplied back to you. So again, why should we listen today? It's because the word is telling you that the more peace you sow, the more righteousness and joy you will harvest into your life. And I think that's pretty important, isn't it? So you might be asking the question then, how do I sow seeds of peace? What does that look like to me? What are the practical steps of this? How do I be a person who lives in a way where peace is out? I want to share with you what peacemaking is and what peacemaking is not. And through this, share with you seven quick steps. We don't have time to kind of really spend time on them, so I'm going to run through them quickly, but they're simple to understand. And these seven steps are adapted from a teaching from Rick Warren. I just want to give him credit for that. But what is peacemaking and what is it not? Here's what peacemaking is not. Peacemaking is not avoiding conflict. If you think you're making peace by avoiding a conflict that you haven't resolved, you're not making peace. Maybe you're keeping peace, but you're not making peace. Uh, peacemaking is not appeasing conflict, just constantly giving in to people. If you're a person who gets involved in a conflict and your first reaction is just to give in to it, you're not making peace. You're keeping peace. It's, it's cowardice to run away from conflict. I want to say that again. It's cowardice to run away from conflict. And it's codependency to always appease conflict. So when I say peacemaking, I'm not saying giving in to conflict always. And I'm not saying running away from it. That is not peacemaking. Peacemaking is always intentional. Peacemaking is a choice that you make as a follower of Christ to live to the principles of the kingdom and the character of the kingdom of heaven. There's a couple of scriptures here that I want to share with you that tell us about the intentionality of peacemaking. The first one is Psalms 34, 14. It says, search for peace and work. Somebody say work. Work. Work to maintain it. It's intentional. You have to seek it. You have to go for it. It's something you have to strive for. You have to work at it. Running away from it, avoiding it, is not working at conflict. Appeasing it is not working in conflict. Peacemaking is intentionality. Look at Hebrews 12, 14. Work. Somebody say work. Work at living in peace with everyone. So this idea of biblical peacemaking always is in the backdrop of a step of action, of intentionality, of a heart that desires the peace of God. Pastor Rick Love, I love, 
Pastor Rick Love, I love his comment that Rick Love makes here on this idea. He says, a positive theology of peace is not reactive, but it's proactive. Amen to that. It takes initiatives. It creates peace. It sees peace not as something to be achieved merely by refraining from, from war. So, so the peace of God is not the absence of war, but, make, but by taking peacemaking initiatives. Peace like war must be waged. I love that idea. How many of you know some people who are great at waging war? They wage war everywhere, at home, in the school, and at the workplace, at parties, on social media. They are experts at waging war. I want to know how many of you would declare yourself, I wage peace. That's what Jesus wants. He wants people who wage peace. It must be waged courageously, persistently, creatively, with imagination, heart, and wisdom. So here are seven steps to wage peace. Okay, you want to be a peacemaker? Here are seven practical steps. And again, I encourage you to take notes, snap pictures, because these are things that you can practice when you walk out of these doors here in a few minutes that can change your life, that can maybe rescue a relationship that's hanging by a thread. Maybe there's a person right now you're thinking of specifically, man, God, this is for this person right now. So seven steps to wage peace. Seven steps to wage peace. Here's the first step. You make the first move. You make the first move. You want to wage peace? It's going to take you to make the first move. Oh, I know it's their fault. You don't need to tell me. You could argue that it's 50.1% their fault, or it could be 99.999% their fault. It doesn't matter. You make the first move. You want to be a person who's a peacemaker? It's going to take you to make the first move. Jesus makes peace. Jesus comes and makes the first move, and he wages peace, and we reap the benefits from it. Okay? It matters. Like I said, I, Jesus teaches us that, that being at peace with people is, is even more important than whatever act of religion you could give. Look at Matthew chapter 5. This is the same Sermon on the Mount. A few verses later, Jesus would teach this. He says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar, that's a religious act, okay? If you're presenting a sacrifice in the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, you have this unresolved conflict with somebody, you're in church, all right? I want you to picture this. Uh, you're in church, and you're giving your offering of worship to God, and you're, you're pouring out your heart to God, and you're singing, you're flowing in the worship. And, oh, man, you feel so warm and full of the spirit and then you remember I have an unresolved conflict with somebody oh that brother just walked in church man what does Jesus tell you to do he says leave your sacrifice there at the altar he's saying drop your religious actions go go initiatives right you make the first step you go and be reconciled to that person then come back and continue with offering of your sacrifice. That's how important Jesus sees peacemaking. He's saying, hey, before you try to do any kind of, you know, religious, spiritual act that's going to fill you, first have peace with your brother or sister. Leave it at the altar. Go, be reconciled, then come back. So the first step to waging peace, you make the first move. Conflict never heals on its own. 
there's the saying that time heals all things. That, that may be some ways true. But if you were shot in the side and you were bleeding out, no one would say, well, I'm just going to let time heal that. If you have a wound, if you have a gash on your leg because you cut yourself deep with something, no one would look at a wound that's deep, that's bleeding out and say, well, I'm just going to let time take care of that. It'll be okay. No big deal. Time doesn't heal all things. Time makes things get more disgusting, right? And infected and pussy and gross. And the more you let conflict linger, time will maybe not heal it. But the longer you sit on it and wait thinking time will heal it, it's just going to get more infected and more messy and more pussy. And God doesn't want you to have a conflict like that. He wants you to take the first step and initiate peace with people. Time sometimes makes things more worse. If you've ever had a foundation crack in your basement, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, it's just a small leak. Don't worry about it. Let that sit there for a while. That thing will become a gushing river if you let it sit long enough. Same thing with conflict. So you make the first move. Number two, if you've decided I'm going to have a peace talk with somebody, ask God for wisdom. We haven't been trained in how to handle conflict. Don't go in there thinking you know the plan. We don't. We don't know the plan. Before you handle any conflict, always ask God for wisdom. Ask him for specifics. Look at James chapter 1, verse 5. It says, if you need wisdom, which we all do, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. We need wisdom when it comes to repairing relationships, when it comes to making peace. And we need to be specific. We need to ask God, God, give me wisdom to when to have this talk. Give me wisdom where to schedule this talk. Give me wisdom on who to have there. Give me wisdom on what to say. Be specific after you've chosen to reconcile a relationship. Ask God for wisdom because we lack it. And we shouldn't feel ashamed asking God for wisdom because who taught you conflict resolution? Let me answer. No one. No one's taught us this. So we need God and his wisdom in it. So one, make the first move. Two, ask God for wisdom. Three, getting really, really just practical here. Take responsibility for your part first. Take responsibility for your part first. Whenever you deal in a, in a conflict resolution setting, Again, it might be 99.999999% that person's fault. It doesn't matter. You might have a 0.1% degree of fault at something. It doesn't matter before you accuse, before you go at someone, before you even speak. Take responsibility for your part. Take responsibility for your part. Begin with your own. Confess. Do a self-check before you have this talk. Is there any blind spots that I'm missing here that maybe led up to this moment? You know, you could be insensitive and hurt someone, right? And you could be overly sensitive and get hurt at something that was never meant to hurt you. You could be critical. You could be judgmental. Is there a blind spot there that you're missing? Confess to that first. Now, let me just say this. This is insanely difficult to, to purposefully do this in a setting where you know the other person's at fault. You might be saying, Juan, you don't know, man. This person is a jerk. But you want me to claim my little piece of the pie first? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. This is insanely hard. This is why we need to be poor in spirit. Remember the Beatitudes that came before this. This is why we need to have an attitude of being poor in spirit. 
This is why we need to have an attitude of mourning our own sin, of realizing how we missed the mark. This is why we need to be meek. Only meekness would make this possible. This is why we need to hunger righteousness and justice, because that will allow us to claim responsibility even for our own little part. This is why we need to be merciful, because first, we must understand that God has had mercy on me, so now I can have mercy on others. And this is why we need to be pure of heart, to say, I come to this meeting with no agenda other than making peace with you. So take responsibility for your part first. Own your part. The internal change of a heart always leads to these external actions, like taking responsibility for something that maybe you feel you're not totally at fault for. That is insanely hard, right? But that's what Jesus calls you to do, to be a peacemaker. Peacemaking is not easy. There's a couple of things that will block you from doing this. One is if you're self-centered. If you're a self-centered person where it's just me, my, me, and mine, whatever I want to get, uh, which is, which is uh, an issue here, it's going to block you from taking responsibility. The second thing that will block you is pride. If you're a prideful person, you will never take responsibility for your part because you will say, that person owns more of this. So don't let pride and don't let self-centeredness be a roadblock for you taking responsibility for your actions. A couple of verses here. Look at James 4, verse 1. What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires? selfish desires that war within you. You, you? you see, sometimes we think, man, this conflict is coming because my boss is a jerk. Is it really that your boss is a jerk, or is there more something going inside within you that's causing this conflict? That's what the Bible says, that we have all, all of us have these selfish desires, and they're evil, because he put us ahead of everything. And that's what causes quarrels and fights among us. So don't let this block you to taking responsibility to what you own. The second one is Proverbs 13.10. Look at that. It says pride leads to what? Conflict. I'm right. You're wrong. My reasons for being angry are justified. Your reasons for being angry are stupid. How many of us do that? My, my, my fears are rational. Your fears are a little crazy. My insecurities are rooted in truth. Your insecurities are rooted on what you see in social media. That's pride. When we feel like we could one-up each other, or like our reasons are justified and their reasons are not. You want to make peace with people, start by taking responsibility for what you own. It starts there. Number four. Before we get to number four, can I just share with you nine words that will save any relationship? Nine words that will save any relationship. And it, and it goes with this idea of taking responsibility for what you own. Nine words that will save any relationship. Here, write these down. I am sorry. That's three. I was wrong. That's another three. Please forgive me. That's the last three. Those nine words will save any relationship. I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Try that with your spouse at home. And after they wake up from passing out, after they wake up from passing out, because they've never heard that from you ever, they'll probably want to embrace you and hug you. And it'll just set a different tone. Because what have you done? You've taken responsibility for your part first. Those nine words are from Al Mohler. Uh, will save any relationship. I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. 
Number four, after you've taken responsibility, practice active listening. Okay? Practice active listening. When you talk to people, you need to listen to where the hurt is coming from. Remember that the arguments that you get into are very rarely over ideas. People very rarely get into it over ideas. They get into it more over emotions. Uh, emotions drive the ideas, okay? The emotions are, are the power behind the ideas. People dig into their ideas, not so much because they believe in them 100%, but it's because they're emotionally vested into them sometimes so deeply that they cannot pull out. So the way you really listen to what is at the heart of a person is by being an active listener. Hey, there is a reason why God created you with two ears and only one mouth. It's because we should be doing double the listening and only half of the speaking. You see, the problem in some conflict resolutions is many of us want to go in there ready to talk and ready to share and ready to drop bombs. And we're so destabilized emotionally and spiritually and, and, and in our hearts that, that it turns ugly quickly. Where, where, where God is saying, hey, I've given you two ears and one mouth. Listen before speaking. Be an active listener. Hurt people, hurt people. How many of you have heard that before. And when you speak to someone who's obviously hurt, you need to ask yourself, where is this hurt coming from? And it's not always found in what they say. It's found more in what they mean. I, I, one, time, one time I was at a conference, a marriage conference. My wife and I, we've counseled countless couples and dealt with countless conflict resolutions between family members, fathers and sons and brothers and sisters in the church and marriage. We've done that for years and years and years and years. And I went to a conference one where I thought this person was going to teach me something. And this pastor stood up and he said, husbands, um, I got a, a word of advice for you. Never listen to your wife. Never listen to what your wife says. And all the men in the room were just like, oh, like, do we write that down? Or <laughs> what do we do for that? Like, I got to take this journal home. She's going to ask me, what did you learn at the conference? I learned never to listen to you. No, no, but then he began to teach it a little bit further. And he said, husbands, never listen to what your wife says. Listen to what she means. I said, oh, okay, okay. Sometimes the words and the meanings, the heart behind the words don't match up. And wives, this is for you too. How many of wives can relate to this? You ask your husband. Obviously, there's something wrong with him. Honey, what's wrong? What does he say? Nothing. That word is not the truth, is it? You cannot listen to what he says. You need to listen to what he means. So be an active listener. James 1.19 says, understand this. James saying, please get this. Emphasis on the understand this. My dear brothers and sisters, please get this. You must be what? All quick to listen, slow to speak. Listen, if you do step one, you're quick to listen and you're slow to speak, you will achieve number three. You will be slow to anger. Because as you actively listen, now you're saying, oh, I'm learning the heart of this person. Now I'm understanding where the hurt is coming from. And now that I understand this person and the hurt that they're coming from, now their actions make sense to me. I would be angry too. I would act like them too if I was hurt like that. So active listening. This understanding leads to patience with people. If you lack patience, you're probably a poor listener because you're quick to want to get out what you're holding in. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. Number five, number five, 
After you've listened, you must speak the truth with gentleness. With gentleness. Emphasis on the gentleness part. Listen, if you're a person who takes pride in keeping it real and I tell it like it is, that's just code for being a jerk, okay? That's just code for being a jerk. That's just you normalizing and justifying having jerk tendencies. I keep it real. No, you're kind of rude. I tell it like it is. You're just being prideful. You got to get off your chest what you got out of your chest. No one else matters. There's a way to speak the truth, but do it in gentleness, right? Look at what Ephesians 4.15 says. This is from the Amplified Version. It says, but speaking the truth in love in all things, all things, both in our speech and in our lives, his truth, right? Let us grow up. Man, that's a good word right there. I'm going to let that one... Read the way it's written. Let us grow up. Some of us, the way we speak, man, we really need just to grow up. It's a lack of maturity. It's a lack of flexibility, some of us, the way we speak to one another. And again, you might be speaking the truth, but it's immaturity to speak it in a way that's, that's terse, in a way that's offensive, in a way that pulls people apart, in a way that sows division rather than makes peace. A peace person speaks the truth in love. You know, you could speak the truth, but you could speak it in a totally wrong way, right? We've seen this before. A couple years ago, my wife and I took a trip to Boston. She wanted to go see a Red Sox game. We were at Fenway Park. There's probably 50,000 people just around there, walking, talking, having a good time. And there's two Christians there at the corner with posters. And one of them says the sign, it says something like, repent or go to hell, you know? And the other one says, you know, uh, it said something about come to Jesus or die or something like, or, or live in hell. And, and, and listen, theologically, were those posters true? Yes. Were they speaking the truth? Yes. Were they doing it with gentleness and love? No. Did anybody get saved that day at Fenway Park? I doubt it. Did anybody say, wow, man, that's a sign. I got to know more about this. I'm going to hell. Tell me more. No one did that. Listen, you could speak truth. And those Christians who hold those signs, and, and sometimes you hear them on the corners, and it's like, bro, you got an anger issue, man. Like, what's wrong? Like, would Jesus be out here on the corner telling people this? The last time I read the Bible, Jesus looked over a city that was broken, that was sinful. You know what he did? He wept. He didn't curse them out. He didn't say turn or burn. He looked at Jerusalem and he cried over them. So whenever we're dealing with conflict, you, you could speak the truth. God wants you to speak the truth, but he wants you to do it in a way that's gentle, with respect. It's not only what you say, it's how you say it. And often how you say things can lead someone to change. So speak the truth with gentleness. Number six, attack problems, not each other. When you deal with conflict, address the problems. Don't attack the problems. Don't attack people. Attack problems. Don't attack people. It's, it's easy to let emotions dominate 
dealing with conflict and for it to turn personal. It's easy to say hurtful, you know, hurtful things, uh, things that are daggers. You know, there's people that are experts at throwing daggers in, in, in conflict. You know, in the middle of a conflict, they'll throw something real, real hurtful out. You know, where you're no longer attacking the problem, you're attacking the person. You know, you're just like your mother. You just set this whole conflict resolution piece in a whole different track. You know, you always do this. Or I should have listened to my friends and never married you. What? People throw words like divorce around. You know, those, those are like weapons of mass destruction. Do you know that there's rules in warfare? In the world, when two countries go to war, they agree to a set of rules, usually. And there are rules of engagement when it comes to the world in real war. I'm talking where people are dropping bombs on each other, shooting at each other. There's rules of engagement. But yet, in some of our relationships, we never set rules for engagement. And we use weapons of mass destruction that are banned in the world. We use them in our relationships. And you know what? the form of these weapons of mass destruction usually come in? Our words. Our words. And we do it usually in the form of personal attacks. Well, we're no longer talking about the problem. Look, if your marriage has a finance problem, attack the finance problem. Don't attack each other. Listen, if your child has a problem with disrespect, a problem with listening, address the problem. Don't attack that child. Parents, the minute you start yelling at your kids, I mean like madhouse yelling. I'm not talking about being firm and putting your foot down and putting your message across. I'm talking about like going ballistic, yelling, screaming. The moment you do that, you've lost your kid. They're not listening. They're not listening. Because now it's become personal. You're attacking the person, not the problem. You want to see an example of this where, where when you begin to attack people, not the problem. It becomes a massive waste of time. It becomes a massive waste of energy, and it becomes just a massive waste of everything. You know what the perfect example of this is? Washington, D.C. All these people just blaming each other. It's because you, and it's because you. No, and it's you. No, and it's your beliefs. No, and it's, it's your agenda. No, it's your people. No, it's your money. It's your thing. No, it's your thing. Look at Washington, D.C. Nothing gets done, and nothing gets accomplished. Why? Because most of the time, people are not addressing problems. You know what they're addressing? People. People issues. And Colossians 3.8 says, But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. can't attack problems if we're constantly attacking people. The last one, number seven, strive for reconciliation before resolution. There's a difference between reconciliation and resolution. Reconciliation is, hey, we bury the hatchet. We, we, we are living at peace with one another. I've forgiven you. We've crossed that bridge. It doesn't mean things are all perfect and all back to restoration. That's a different track, right? But making peace begins with reconciliation. You have to aim for reconciliation first before there's full resolution in a conflict. And it's possible to have one without the other. One it, it, it takes intentionality. The second one, resolution, takes a much deeper commitment to want to restore things back to where they were, where there's a reestablishment of trust. And when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, he's saying, blessed are those who give reconciliation to one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, be joyful. These are some great steps to, to, to establishing reconciliation. Begin with joy in your heart. 
grow in maturity, encourage one another, live in harmony and peace, then the God of love and peace will be with you. Be joyful, understanding you've been forgiven. God has shown you his mercy. Now go give that mercy to someone else. Live in a mature way like that. Encourage one another. How could you encourage somebody? There's a conflict that hasn't been dealt with there. How could you experience harmony and peace? If you haven't given that, when we do that, then the God of love and peace will be with us. Seven steps to waging peace. You can put these into practice when you leave this place. But there's one trick that the enemy wants to use that will destroy all seven of these steps. There's like, man, this is the kryptonite of peacemaking. You know what the kryptonite of peacemaking is? Fear. Fear. Because some of you will hear this and say, this sounds great, but the minute you walk out that door, you will be so afraid to initiate a conversation with somebody because you're afraid of the rejection you might experience. You're afraid of maybe the judgment that you're going to encounter. Or you're just afraid of blowing it. Because every time you've tried this before, you've always blown it. And, and listen, you, you'll, you'll, never, you'll never resolve conflict until love overcomes fear in your heart. Love covers a multitude of sin. Perfect love casts out I love that quote from Rick Warren. He says, we never change until love overcomes the fear. So some of you will get into your car and you'll have your notes and you'll have all seven slides in your photo bank. And then the enemy's going to start to whisper in your ear and say, you know, it's not even worth it. They're not going to change. They're not going to listen to you. Or you're just going to mess it up again. You're too angry. Hey, you're not worthy of that relationship. And, and just let me leave you with this scripture, 2 Timothy. Where does fear come from? Fear is not of God. Fear is not of God. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has given us not a spirit of fear, not a spirit of fear, and of timidity. But what does God give you, especially in the moments when you're trying to resolve conflict the right way? God will give you the power. God will give you the love to overcome the fear. And he will give you the self-discipline to handle it in the way that he wants it to be handled. Amen? Can we stand together?